You know what? I was thinking the other day. Do you remember that time when you were? Uh, I was just swinging in the backyard, and you pull up in your fast car, whistling my name. Then you open up a beer and say, "Get over here, play a video game." I do remember that. The latest pop culture news with your hosts James and Matt. Welcome to This Week in Metropolis. Good evening and welcome to another episode of This Week in Metropolis with me, James, and him over there, Matt. And this week we're joined by George Dagenkamp. George, how are you? Good, good. And you got the last name right. That's uh, <laughs> I was, good, you know good. what I was kind of, I was really you can see the concentration on his face. Yeah, that one sums maybe like two out of three. So uh, <laughs> I, I do, and I just want to point out to all the viewers and the listeners who suffered watching last week's one where I slowly deteriorated with my consumption of uh, whiskey followed by beer. Um, this week is going to be a clean episode. There is no alcoholic beverage next to me. Not that I'm aware of, but um, you know, full concentration this week and shouldn't be. So I was again that shouldn't have impacted on my pronunciation of your name. Um, but <laughs> thank you, George, joining us all the way this evening from Toronto in Canada, um, which is like we were just talking before we came on air. Lovely place, been there myself. Absolutely love it. Um, tell the viewers and the listeners who you are, what you do, and a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, so probably primary reason I'm here is uh, we make games. Uh, we're, or I'm part of a small studio based out of Toronto, um, all remote, but we're all local. And uh, we make uh, small indie games and uh, we don't really stick to any type of game. I mean, some studios have their, you know, platformer, or, you know, their, their specific angle, but um, we, we sort of try to make make experimental things or, or things we, we wanted to see in, in a niche that doesn't exist yet or, uh, or topics like that. So, um, so yeah, so I'm a, a technical director at the small studio called Mighty L in, based in Toronto. And what does, uh, just for the uninitiated like myself, what, what, does, uh, what role does a technical director play in, in the whole process? Uh, yeah, so it, it varies a little bit by team size. So uh, maybe in a in a larger studio, you know, of a you know, hundred to a thousand people, you're talking more of like a manager role or a management, sort of overseeing um, overseeing the systems design of like how a game is going to be laid out behind the scenes, and uh, managing programmers. Uh, for me, because our team scales from about one to three programmers max, including myself. Uh, a lot of that is just doing doing the programming myself. So it's um, it's in the back end. It's it's setting up the systems. It's figuring out like okay, if our game's going to be very dialogue heavy, like what sort of systems do we want to set up that present the dialogue to the players that let our writers write that dialogue, things like that. So uh, so for me, yeah, it's it's a lot of making tools. It's a lot of making the actual gameplay on the programming side and. Now it's a little bit of management because now I've got some help on the, the programming front. So. What, what, what's your background, George? How did you get into wh where you're at now? What's, w is this, was you part of the startup of Mighty L or did you join it at a later date? What's your background? Yeah, I was. So, so Mighty L is run by uh, a guy named Dave Proctor. And uh, he, he and I both went to the same college in the area. Um, both of us had like come from different fields before. I was... I was at a university trying to figure out, I, I knew I wanted to make games, but it was like, do I want to be an artist? Do I want to be a programmer? Like, I don't, I don't even know. I, I, <laughs> as long as it's game centric, throw me in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up going to this college for a programming course and Dave went into it for a design uh, role. And uh, just the way the program was set up, they sort of mash you all together and say, okay, make games together. And uh, we, we hit it off there. And then we sort of went our own separate ways with different studios for a little bit and uh, realized that's not what we wanted to do long term or like, you know, it was fun, but we wanted to try something new. And so Dave poached me away. And uh, <laughs> now uh, he had been talking about this for a while and we, we decided, yeah, let's let's try this out. Let's try making something really small and see where it goes. And that's where the big con started up from. 
Which well, is interesting. I mean, to you, you describing the big con as something really small, and I think it's right for me. I remember seeing the, the very first sort of previews of it, and and so on, and and just uh, my initial reaction was like, "Wow, that's that's really cool." Um, because it for for me it. It, it ticked in the nostalgia box uh, from a point of view is it looks like a game that could quite easily be on the um you know the snares or or you know sort of 16 bit sort of consoles um but also the um from the 90s um mm. sort of references and so on as i would sort of you know was a teenager in the 90s and so on so i've got a lot of affiliation with that but it you describe it as really small but for me it seemed like a quite a it was received very well and it, you know, the press and, and so on. It, it felt like a, a big sort of game to me as an outsider, seeing how it was um, received as such. Would you agree? Uh, yeah. And I think so, you know, when, when I'm on this uh, team, like my, my brain is always in the, the tech centric side. So it's, yeah. you know, Dave, Dave will look into marketing and then we have, you know, people for, for art and people for sound and, across the whole sort of spectrum there but uh but for me yeah it always starts out okay like here here's a simple idea this sounds like a, a pretty contained idea that we could maybe put together a quick prototype in a, a couple of weeks and then you know hammer out some details and things like that i mean of course after those few weeks are over it turns out you've made a behemoth of a project and uh you know you have all these other ideas you want to try out and all yeah. these other mechanics and fun things you want to throw in and then yeah, then the project ends up blooming into what it did with the big con. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it starts out. It starts out usually as like, okay, we want to. I, I think with Dave, it was like, okay, I want to make a game about a road trip set in the '90s, uh, where you're trying to save a video store, and that was sort of like the the kernel of it. And then from there, yeah, it did grow into something quite big. It's such a unique concept, I think, as a story as well, and the fact that. You know, and the way that you're trying to save your mum's video story is the fact that you learn how to be a pickpocket. And, and you know, that's, uh, it's this great moral sort of, well, I'm, I'm doing the right thing, but through crime um, across the, the country and such, which I think was was brilliant. Did you, wait, what interests me, did you, when you was referencing the 90s, because there was a lot of 90s references in there, how did you filter that list down? Was it a brainstorming session of, Oh, we need to do this. We need to do this. And, and it, so it was, yeah, it was brainstorming, but it was also just a flurry. I think everybody yeah. on the team was just so excited to bring up all these these '90s nostalgic uh, icons. And yeah. uh, one thing that was really interesting is that we had sort of a, a full gamut of like some members of the team were teenagers in the '90s. Um, I was yeah. born in 1990, so for me, it was like you know, kids' cartoons and Furbies and things yeah. like that. And then we had some younger people on our team too that really don't remember the 90s, but if you've been online, I mean, you've seen the 90s nostalgia just sort of cycle yeah, through. Yes. I mean, Pokemon's still part of the Zeke guys mm. and everything. So um, so it was it was a sort of cool mix of like, okay, what's this rose-colored version of 90s that pe some people know now? What is like this old version that some of us remember as kids? And like, what's the rock music that was cool? And uh, yeah, it, it just became like this mash of like how many cool things from the 90s or how many ideas can we sort of like fit in, and cram into this thing before we close the door on it. And and you know what? Just saying that, George, there, you've, you've just, I think that's such a clever way of trying to implement certain things within the game because I, I, I watched and, and done a review um, over the weekend. I watched the film Air, which obviously has... Um, Lot, I mean, that's based on the, the the 80s, essentially, of Nike bringing out the, the Air Jordans and things like that. And as good as the film was, one of the things that stood out to me was the music. Matt, you've seen the film. You, you're mm. sure you agree. The music, yeah. you just mentioned it there, George, about the music and the rock music references and things like that. And, and the kind of... There, there was certain kind of um, set and props and things like that that just stood out to me as setting the scene. And I think it's the same. If you can get the, the right kind of um, little touches to it that just emphasise the, the the scene that you're trying to set as such, and the same within a game, just goes such a long way. They're the bits that you go, love that. It creates yeah. a world. Yeah. 
I think one thing sort of neat to mention too is uh, one of our sort of big uh, big influences on like how to how to present nostalgia was Stranger Things because mm -hmm. they they have a great example of like okay yeah. they they're set in the '80s they represent the '80s but it's not it's not exactly the '80s it's more of this shiny version of the '80s that yeah. you know you look at it and you go oh like this it's like a remaster almost of a of yeah. the '80s feeling. Uh, so it was a lot of that too. It was a lot of like, how do, how do we sort of present this where like, even if you weren't in the nineties or even if you just sort of tangentially know a lot of these references, mm -hmm. how do we make that feel like that special feeling? Like, oh man, yeah, yeah that's, that's something that feels nineties. Yeah. Which, uh, and not, I, I talked recently about, um, Top Gun Maverick because James loved Top Gun Maverick and I, didn't particularly <laughs> and what i didn't like about that was it was forced nostalgia is the way i'd describe it it's like look at this look at this thing do you remember when this thing happened look look and whereas i think where stranger things is successful is that they do that to a certain extent with and like it was it beginning of season two when they're dressed up as ghostbusters maybe i, I think it's maybe season two where it's the obvious that they're showing you this thing but also in the background there are also little touches of stuff that you think oh wow that's you know that's i remember that or whatever it's creating that that world isn't it and i think the big con does that in, with the uh, i can't remember is it burbo is the furby yeah in, we have burbos we have yeah. uh, cans of horn uh, Boom, yeah. Of, uh, well, spam. Spam that would have been, you. wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, just a whole whole sort of slew of these uh, these almost references. Yeah. Nice. I just want to – sorry, just quickly, Matt, I just want to say, because we've got a few people um, that are watching along at the moment, so just say a bit, bit of a hello. And if you've got any questions for George, by the way, um, please get them in and we'll be happy to ask. And if you're a keen gamer, do go and check out – uh, Mighty Yells games, and we'll, we'll venture on to other games as well in a bit. But we've got with us this evening Highland G's with us. Hey guys, Highland G will be joining us uh, next week, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, we'll get that confirmed. Um, I'm not drinking, and uh, we've got Shane from Dawn of Comics. Happy Tuesday, gents. Happy Tuesday to you as well, Shane. And um, I did pop it up, but the Mighty Yell Studios are watching. We love wholesome crime at Mighty Yell, and we've also got. James T. Keegan. Hey, James is in the house. Thanks for joining. Again, if you've got any questions, get them in. But back to you, Matt. I just Sorry. wanted to say the reason I disappeared and came back because mm. there was one thing that I meant to put on um, specifically for this show, which is something that the, the Big Con did actually influence me buying, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a, uh, a lanyard. And it's an original blockbuster video lanyard um, that I acquired and cost me far too much money, I'd like to admit, <laughs> um, for, for a lanyard um, particularly, because I had to ship it from America. But it's an authentic one that they would have worn in the stores. Um, but Matt, I, just, uh, I, I was just going to say, I remember, because we, we were saying just before we came live, I remember the episode when you talked about the big con, um, mm -hmm. which probably wasn't a live episode at the time. It was probably way back when we weren't doing lives. But And we, we posted or... or I certainly posted your review that you've done of the game. What what are your memories? I don't know if it's a game you go back to and play now, but mm. it, what what were your kind of overall thoughts on the game when you played it? I, I just loved the fact it was so, so different. And I've spoke about it before that I'm I've always been a gamer in the past, but now it's the case that I don't know. There's a certain element of fatigue with the, the type of games, and this can make me sound old, the type of games that are being made aren't necessarily games that relate to me uh, as such. You know, uh, For as much as I enjoy playing Minecraft now and again with my boys or, or sort of Fortnite now and again or, or whatever it may be, there's not none that tell a story that interests me particularly now and or um, one like we were talking about with the nostalgia thing. I, I love the playing it and it's got a feel of which i'm sure was intentional like a feel of like the doug cartoon for example it's got an element of that it's got the 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 way you can explore and you can do the side quest with the pawnbroker and collect you know i can't remember what the first one is it was things like a corn isn't it i think yeah yeah, yeah there the whole corn. town yeah the corn and you can do that that 
you can steal some sneakers to sell to, to this uh, collector and just all of that stuff together. And he had a great twist at the end as well. I quite liked um, that. It, it is one that the one of the very few games that I played and then thought, I want to play that again. I want to, yeah. you know, sort of get back into that world again because it did feel like you were in a um, inner world yeah. as, as such that you bought into because of the characters and, and so on. Yeah. One of one of my complaints with certain games, even you know, going to more recent ones like Gears of War and games like that, is because it is a bit copy and paste at times. You know, you go mm. to a wall, you duck down, you shoot someone, you duck down, you go and do the next bit. It's it's a bit repetitive, as visually stunning as it is. It's a bit, you know, you just get into a bit of a routine. Style over substance. Uh, it's a bit yeah. muscle memory esque. Question for you, George: Is how do you? Um, in the creation of these games and the ideas that are flowing between you and the team, how do you get to a point where you go, you, you, you don't fall into that trap as such? Yeah. Um, well, this is something we actually talk about a lot because I think it's actually a bit of a natural divergence between say us and a team of, you know, thousands of uh, developers. And I think, you know, I sympathize with their, their problem in a lot of ways because they have, you know, they have all these people that are relying on the next game for a paycheck and like, mm. you know, the, like the studio has to grow and they have all these responsibilities where, you know, a lot of the fans know them as the Gears of War studio or things like that. Uh, so for them to do something like pivot to something that's maybe non-combat based or, you know, not Gears of War next is that's that's a pretty titanic shift for uh, a company like that to make. Um, and because of that, their, their strength is that, you know, they're making the same sort of system over and over again, so they can really polish it, you know, with thousands of people and multiple iterations and years of the same sort of games, mm. they can bring those games to a level that for us indies is very hard to sort of match in terms of production quality. Uh, so our strength sort of is on the other side where they can't pivot. We can, I mean, yeah. we have four or five people, the risk of a failure is much smaller you know, we can, our burn rate is like a joke compared to how big, uh, you know, <laughs> if you have a thousand or 2000 people on staff. Um, but yeah, the benefit of that is that we get to sort of try all the, the crazy cool ideas that, you know, maybe are a little too risky for, you know, Ubisoft mm. or, or another AAA to take on. And, uh, and then because you're trying something new, you don't necessarily have to go in with as much polish because I mean, in our case too, we're not, I mean, not that polish is not important to us, to be clear. Um, but you're not, you know, there's not 10,000 90s themed um, movie, uh, sort of movie referencing. Yeah. You know, yeah. these games in the same sort of uh, field for other people to go, oh, well, yeah, but why would I play this one when there's 30 other ones because, that came out? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we get to sort of bring something new and fresh to the table. And that's our strength as a smaller studio. So. Um, which, so yeah, I think that's sort of where it differs. Which brings us on, really, to A Night in the Attic, which, for me, I, I guess, it, it's like that, um, to compare it to music, it's like that second album, isn't it? You, you can either think, oh, well, I'm going to do another um, 90s-themed game, but set in a, I don't know, whatever it may be, um, instead of a video shop. But, you know, I, following you know what you do in after Picon and what it's very much a left turn in in terms of you know a, a VR game that's based on Knights in the Round Table sort of you know as a theme. Where where how did you get there? Or, or, yeah, or I mean, so that project actually started as a a bit of just like a game jam, which is like you know sort of jamming on yep. your own, coming up with with weird ideas outside of the company. Uh, between myself and uh, who later became the art director, Andrea. Uh, and uh, we, we just wanted to make something simple to test it out. It wasn't VR. It wasn't anything. It was just this idea of, you know, those old marble maze tilting games that you used to play with. Mm. And uh, I was like, okay, let's, let's just put something together there. We had this sort of idea of like, oh, you roll off the side of that marble maze. And, uh, and I mean, this is where that sort of cool aspect of Indies comes in is because we were, or Dave's company, Mighty Yell, where I work, was sort of looking for what to do next and, and feeling things out. And uh, things sort of lined up where it was like, okay, what if we took this and just 
you know, poured gasoline on it and just made it this big, big thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, make it see if we can do VR, see if we can do like a, a full 3D sort of story campaign in it. And uh, that's not, I mean, we we did 2D art in the first game and now we're switching to 3D. We did a non-VR game and then we're switching to VR. Uh, the first game was story-centric, like dialogue. And now we're going much more like a, a tilting platformer where, you know, like all the skills change yeah. sort of upside down. And it's that's it's something a bigger team just couldn't risk. Um, mm -hmm. But for us, it was, it was, I mean, it was just fun. It was like getting the chance to sort of throw out the rundown and, and try something completely new and uh yeah i i think we're probably going to do that with the next project too because it's just, it's just too fun to keep switching it I, up. I, I love the way you talk about that george in a sense that because like you say you, you probably haven't got the the overheads and the the kind of risk factor as much that you can just throw in an idea and go why don't we try this like you said just as simple as going let's make it vr you know and and uh, the fact that gaming is evolving in so many different ways the fact that you can go into that as a as a smaller indie company, and I think Matt, you're, I know you're a massive advocate of indie games, mm. um, certainly on kind of PC gaming and things like that. So, um, how how does uh, you, you mentioned about VR there? I, it wouldn't have even been a thing that crossed my mind. But how does that kind of what's the jump like to go and create v, a, a VR game? Which I guess that falls in your lap in terms mm. of yeah, your job role if it's vr right george yeah. sort this out how, how are we <laughs> Come on, gonna actually do this yeah and it's it like it is a lot of that it's uh it's sort of like okay well i mean this this sort of works on a regular screen right now um it's a bit slow and it's a bit like sort of held together with duct tape because we didn't think it was going to be a big game at first and um or like a big project with a team and all that uh, so a lot of it was just like, how do we even get this thing running on a, a thing you strap to your face, right? And uh, I, that was that was honestly a terrifying challenge for like yeah. you know I won't I won't sugarcoat that one. It was um, running something on like a high end gaming PC is one thing, but once you know once we started working with an Oculus, it's like a cell phone on your face with two high definition screens that both have to render the game. I was like, it was insane. And we, we spent a lot of time sort of scrambling, seeing if we could get a little bit of help from people that had experience in this. And uh, thankfully we came across a programmer who was just just absurdly talented with this mm -hmm. um, this specific sort yeah. of uh, the issue and had worked on it before. And um, some black magic came out of that and we managed to pull it off. But, uh, but yeah, it, it was a shift completely in the way you work and the way you think. I mean, now you're not looking at a screen when you work, you're holding a, a headset sort of balanced on your head while you're typing and then you yeah. jump back, back in. On. Yeah. So it's, it's I was, I was going to say, I mean, you, you mentioned, we, we've discussed it a couple of times, although you haven't necessarily got the risks, what are the biggest challenges would you say that, that you've had? And that might've been with the big con, it might be with um, a night in the attic. What, what have been the biggest challenges as an indie um gaming studio uh so i mean there's general challenges which i think is just trying to set yourself apart because like like we we talk about it a lot where um the the number of indie games that come out now is just it's crazy like it's mm. i mean you you could get buried in a day under another 10 or 20 releases um and that's you know like that's you're lucky if those are just small studios some of them are double a some of them are you know they had a name before uh, but Dave, I think Dave has uh, like a real talent for sort of picking out something that's going to stick out a little more and making sure we're in a position where, you know, maybe we get a, a good spot to release or we get, you know, a good sort of spotlight, things like mm -hmm. that. So I, a lot of that, I you know, I'm thankful that he sort of it's offloaded onto him and I don't have to worry about things like that as the tech director. But uh, but on my end, I'd say within the studio, our personal sort of experience in this company uh, was a lot of just sort of hammering out which roles were which. And that's, I mean, you're going to get this with a small team. You're all wearing different hats. You know, you're doing jobs that wouldn't really fit under your purview as a bigger studio, but I mean, they got to get done. Mm -hmm. And uh, just sort of figuring out where those lines are. Like sometimes it's creative differences or sometimes it's, you know, like you don't know when to push back or like this is going to be way too complicated to pull off. I, I want to say yes to every crazy idea Dave comes up with, and that 
that has shot us in the foot before. Uh, whereas like, it's my job to say like, no, we have a, we have a tech budget. This is what's going to happen. And this is what we can pull off. And then we can polish that and do all sorts of fun stuff with that. But, um, so I think, I think con was a bit of a growing pain in that regard. Um, but I think by the end of the project, we really, we really started to get a hang of, of, or like a rhythm of that. Yeah. And, uh, that carried over to the next project was just way smoother, like in terms mm -hmm. of roles in terms of uh sort of the pipeline and uh yeah you you could tell like going from one project to the next it was like okay we, we really got a handle on this now and uh, that was relieving that was that was a good feeling are there any um from at least a personal question for yourself really are there any games in your mind so when you think about oh, i'd quite like to do that it, uh, what's your like a unicorn as such i, I want to do a game but is this yeah you got one of those <laughs> i i don't know i'm the one i like you know as as out there as some of our ideas end up being like the the last two projects there's somebody in the comments already don't unleash me uh, <laughs> I, I i've been looking at stuff like baseball like these these weird sort of games that nobody actually plays they play What's baseball uh, baseball. So, uh, James, you might be interested in this if you're interested in the sort of like sports management. Mm. Um, unfortunately, they they shut down recently, but it started during the pandemic, and it was a totally simulated baseball tournament or baseball uh, sort of series. And all the teams were made up, all the players were made up, but they were all. It was almost like a horror game as well. So they they give you a little text feed of how the game's playing out, and you'd have one player suddenly kidnapped or you know, zapped by lightning. And then that, that player was just gone for the rest of the time. <laughs> like, and then I, like all sorts of craziness and fan theories came out of it. And uh, I, I love those sort of things where it, it just off the rails. Like you look at yeah. Twitch plays Pokemon, you look at like mm. weird sort of like, I don't know, these, these weird things that don't really fit in the, the regular model of selling mm. the game. Yeah. But uh, that's why I usually have to be tempered back. And it's like, oh, <laughs> we need to make sure we can actually make another game after this game. So let's let's pick something that <laughs> we can sell. And what was your kind of prior, you know, when you were growing up? I'm, I'm assuming you were a big gaming fan growing up. What was your, did you have a console of choice? Did you have particular games that you, you tended to veer towards? Yeah, I mean... Eventually, I became a Halo bro, and I think that was like the sort of convergence with me and the rest of the world of like, okay, now I'm you know now I'm playing Halo every day and yelling at my friends about it. But, uh, <laughs> Did you have land parties? Oh um, yeah, absolutely, with it? absolutely. Balls Energy Drink was a big one at the time. <laughs> all these other stupid products that we felt like had to be thrown in there, but uh, but no, I I actually started playing on. Uh, on PC, and I would play like the Command and Conquer series. Mm. Um, that I think that was one of my favorite growing up. And um, I'm trying to think like old DOS games I would play, and I, I they're all sort of blanking on my mind right now. That's <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, c computer games were were always sort of my go-to. How do you feel about because um, you're saying uh, old DOS games and that? I I know I watch lots of. Um, Sort of YouTubers uh, talking about old PCs and DOS games. I built a Windows 98 PC, which is rare, um, for the purpose of doing that as such. How, how do you personally feel about sort of nostalgia of games and that? Is that something you you participate in as such? I mean, yes and no. Like I, I feel like sometimes you'll find uh, like nostalgia communities that almost feel sort of trapped in the nostalgia yeah, a little bit, and I definitely. think. Even when you mentioned uh, the Top Gun, that like I, I was sort of on the same page. It felt sort of trapped yeah. in its own nostalgia. Um, but I guess actually it's being mentioned in the comments again too. But uh, a good example of sort of like a mix between nostalgia and still for me like competitive fun and all that stuff is Age of Empires, which was a really big one for me back in the day. And uh, Age of Empires Two is still getting expansions or like getting new expansions wow. now. And, um, there's like tournaments being played around the world and like, I just started watching like Age of Empires esports about a year ago and I got hooked in it. I, like this, this game's older than like most of the people I know and work with and it's like I mean it's great it's still very competitive there's like a cool fresh scene on it and, 
yeah, so in that regard, I think you know some games like if they if they can keep updating, if they can find a way to sort of modernize the maybe some of the weaker points that have you know evolved in the industry. Uh, I, I think those are, I mean, those feel like gold. Yeah. Is there, is there, I was just going to say, you, you just mentioned kind of that's a, an esports game now, which is, is mad, but would, is that an idea that, that's kind of being talked about within Mighty Yell about doing like an online multiplayer sort of game? Is that sort of idea across your minds? We, we've kicked it around for sure. Mm. Um, the difficulty is multiplayer on its own is a very big uh, technical hurdle. Mm. I mean, for the hundred things that can go wrong making a regular game, like once you start hooking it up and having to test multiple machines every time you run it, and uh, and even like an upkeep cost of, of a multiplayer game is another yeah. issue. Um, so it's, I mean, it's something that's definitely in the back of our minds. Like we're definitely not um, cutting it out, even looking at, you know, some semi-multiplayer things like Elden Ring's message system is a good example. It's mm. not not necessarily like real-time multiplayer comp competitions, but but ways to sort of bring play players uh, within the same play space. Yeah, um, we're looking at stuff like that, but I, I think it'll be a while before we make like the next yeah. Counter Strike or anything like that. I'm glad you said what you said then, um, and I'm going to play that back to my sons uh, because when I I have the uh, conflict of them shouting, "Dad, are you doing anything with the internet?" when they're playing a multiplayer online game. And I say to him, do you realize that it could be possibly in the game itself and that you're playing on a server with a hundred other people all across the world? Right. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's nothing <laughs> short of magic that online yeah, games work. And it's like, even just the concept of lag, like once you start reading up on the technic technicalities of how that works and, you know, we fake a lot of it. It's like when you run and shoot in a game like Overwatch, I mean, there's two, a whole bunch of different things happening where your computer is sort of just guessing at what you're doing. And then a server somewhere on the other side of the world is also guessing, but that one's more important. And then you have to kind of catch, I don't know, it's a it's it's crazy, chaos. It? Like it's, it's yeah. just even 10 seconds of gameplay makes my head spin. And I never, I never really kind of understood all this until recently because my internet, Matt will tell you, was was awful before. It was, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but no. it, it was very laggy. And I'm, I'm a PlayStation user, so if I'd be playing FIFA or Call of Duty, and there was terrible lag. And it wasn't until recently, so we've we've had the internet upgraded, which is super fast now. You know, we noticed the difference on here and so forth. But I was playing FIFA, and all of a sudden it's laggy again. I'm thinking, what is going on? And it went to I'd done a speed check. There was like a, a, on my phone, there was a, a there was a section where it can see where there were problems. Yep. Clicked on that, and what was top? EA Sports. Yeah. And and they were having server issues. So again, that then makes me realise why that was planned. It's nothing to do with my internet. It's mm. the the servers. Yeah, and I mean, if you can imagine, like a router is still such a headache to figure out for like <laughs> even all of us that deal with tech every day. Like the idea of like now being responsible for the games that run through that scares mm. scares the living daylights. Yeah. So, um. well, before before we wrap up our conversation and um, end the show with the anniversary spread, I'm I'm keen to know kind of what I'm sure you can't tell us everything what's going on in the background because once once you've released the latest project, I'm guessing the next phase is to get feedback and if there's any bugs or anything like that that need to be kind of looked into, um, but What's your kind of long term? Where's where's the plans for the company um, moving forward? Uh, yeah, it's growth. It's um, you know, like the first thing you do is you make one game at a time, and if you can get a hang of that, you start looking at you know, can we can we get a little bigger and juggle two mm. projects or you know, a bigger project? Mm. And uh, I think that's what we're sort of looking at now is what sort of other project like we're doing a lot of sort of the R and D phase of like. What sort of other things do we want to try? What sort of projects are worth investing a little bit of uh, time researching and, and figuring out, like, is this something we want to do as a studio? Is this fun? Um, and of course, is this something that we think we can either make a little money on or you know, get get a publisher for, or, you know, sort of sort of feeling out you know, what's what's the next best up as a studio as well. Uh, well, so yeah, one question: a fun little blue sky phase right now. 
One question I had, which uh, from stalking your LinkedIn page, um, it said that uh -huh. you had previously worked in pyrotechnics, and uh, that that is uh, tell us more uh, about what that was. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it, it was quite a while back now. There was a, a little stint I had where I was like, right, I'm going to try to see how many licenses I could get. So I ended up with like a, a motorcycle license, pyrotechnic license, scuba diving. Uh, just I don't Amazing. know. It was like I have to do something new, and I just had to do everything new. Did, um, did you get ordained? Because um, sort of, you know, so you can uh, marry people and and so on. You know what? That was on the list. And, like, <laughs> yes. I think sea captain was another way to get about sea that. Sea captain, like, like you know, like and you can do it on international waters. Uh, but no, I never, I never made it that far on that one. Uh, but yeah, the pyrotechnics. Uh, it was fun, but a lot of work for what it was. It's just a lot of hauling crates around and hauling, uh, and everything has to be done slow because you don't want to blow yourself up. <laughs> and then it's over probably very quickly after you've spent all that time setting it up. Oh yeah, and by then you're so yeah. tired. I mean, you're sleeping on the the lawn while a fireworks show goes off, and and it's like, oh yeah, we got to clean all this up now. Mm. So, uh, but it was fun. It's I, I think those weird sort of odds and end jobs kind of give you a lot to pull from too. That one didn't. Well, but yeah. you, you need to work out how to incorporate a game based on um, pyrotechnics and then you've, uh, you've come full circle, haven't you? Yeah. 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 I, I definitely think I could probably touch something like <laughs> with, it, with bright colored explosions. I mean, I, I think I got an angle on that. <laughs> well, while we're talking about fun things um, to, um, Finish the show, George. Oh, you know, no pressure. Um, we know that as well as coming to um, watch us have interesting chats with guests like yourself, they also like to see how the guests handle the weekly anniversary spread. That's right. It's that time again. It's time for this week's anniversary spread. Uh, for those of you that are new joining us this evening and aren't aware of the game um well there's five things that i'll be listing to george and to matt this evening um or this afternoon if you're uh, over in the states or in canada um that are celebrating their anniversary today on the 6th of june um so this could be a film it could be a song it could be a game hopefully um as as we've got um gaming experts on the show this evening um but i'll be going back and forth so george you'll kick off with the first guess of what this thing is matt will then have his guess basically you've got to get as close to the year as possible that will accumulate over the five we'll swap around and the winner will be the one closest to zero no one's ever got zero is george going to be the first one we don't know uh we'll find <laughs> out so let's kick off the first one, George, is a film that's celebrating its anniversary today. I'm not going to tell you what year that give it away. But the film is, annoyingly for you, it's, it's one of Matt's favourites. But does he remember what year? It's the film Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh, man. I, uh, okay. Are you a fan of the film, by the way? The, the first franchise? film probably the, the most watched film in my, it was mostly because I had nice. movies, but it was, I loved it. Yeah. Um, and that was 2000 and I want to say 2001. And then they released, I think, every two years. So I'm going to guess 2003. Okay. Or 2002 yeah. Furious. The, the, um, the, the viewers, get your guests, guesses in as well. Um, Shane says, uh, spread them, boys. It's time for uh, anniversary spread. Uh, we've got 2017, Shane's mm -hmm. saying, um, Highland G, 2002. But you're saying 2003, George, yeah? I'm going to go with that, yeah. Okay. Matt, have you heard of the film? I have, and I've watched it several times. In the in the UK, George, it is pretty much you're guaranteed if you turn on the TV at sort of one of the remote channels about this time at night, there is probably a Fast and Furious film <laughs> on the night. Quite often, Too Fast, Too Furious. I would say 2002. Okay. Love it. I, I really like um, Too Fast, Too Furious as well. I, I think the first three I, I adored, and uh, yeah. I probably probably got a speeding ticket or two in my Honda Civic because of those movies. Yeah, did, did you have neons uh, underneath it? I, I didn't, but I did buy aftermarket speakers so I could feel cool nice. without really knowing anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. 
I can reveal that one of you has had a direct hit. Hmm. Too Fast, Too Furious was released on, or in, <laughs> 2003. Ooh. Well done, George. So George starts off with a direct hit. Matt, you're on plus one. We move on to the second. And Matt, you'll be going first on this one. Another great film, by the way. Um, annoyingly, I think, Matt, you'll definitely know it because you're older than us. But the film is <laughs> Con Air. Con Air. Um... Both, both deep in fault here. I can see the um, the cogs are turning. Matt's working out what birthday. I'm going to say that. 1996. Okay. You like the film, Matt? Mm, I do. It's got that wonderful scene with uh, Nicholas Cage where his hair's blowing in the wind. And, <laughs> Does it bring back memories? Oh, yeah. That, that, those days when, when it used to blow in the wind. Probably around 1996. Yeah. Okay, George. You know so, the film? Yeah, I do. Uh, I was born in right now, 1990. So I'm trying to remember if this was something my parents let me see or not uh, as okay. a gauge. Uh, We've got a few um, guesses. I don't know if you can see the comments, but um, Shane from Dawn of Comics, 96. Holland G says 95. Shane says best Nick Cage movie ever. Okay, so it's up there. Um, now... Okay, you, by, by all means, George, you can have a wild stab at it, or you can play it safe. Go close to Matt's guess. It's in you know, play how you how you feel best. Uh, I want to say ninety five, but I'm gonna go ninety four just to to throw okay. it off a little. Okay, I can reveal that Con Air, starring Nicolas Cage. And some other people. 1997. So, well, Matt, you were one out, so you're up to plus two. Sadly for you, George, you've, you were three out, so you've now gone behind on this one. Matt's winning by one, but still very tight. Only right. one in it and low scores as well. We move back to you, George, uh, and we've got a song that is uh, celebrating this anniversary today. The song Last Friday Night by Katy Perry. Okay, so we're talking 2000s. You know this song, Matt? Yeah. yeah. Is it one of your favourites, one of your go-tos? No? Do you like no, Katy Perry? Do either of you like Katy Perry? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I've heard it enough. I've never been like, oh no, this is Katy Perry. Yeah. I can't stand this. But. She's good at what she does in, yeah. in terms of pop music. Uh, uh, so a couple of guesses. 2010 from Highland G, but he says no idea. Shane. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> give some confidence in no the answer. <laughs> I was thinking like 2010-11. Okay. I'm going to go 2011. Okay. Matt? Again, purely a guess. I think it's a fairly recent song. Um, okay. But I may be wrong. Um, I'm going to say 2013 for my guess. Okay. Quite, quite close uh, again with the guesses. I can reveal that Last Friday Night by Katy Perry was released in... 2011, another direct hit for George. Is he, is he a master of the anniversary spread? I don't know. You stay on plus three. Matt, you were two out, so you go back on ahead on, well, behind as such, on plus four. So still only one in it, but it's switching each round at this moment in time. I think what it is is because George is obviously very technical in his role. He's worked out how to get the answers <laughs> without looking like he's getting the answers. I, like, I can that's keep what my hands uh, here. I got the memory of a goldfish too, so no pressure if I. Uh, Amazing. If I Amazing. Here. Well, it's very tight, and now one that you'll both be pleased about is a game 
that's celebrating an anniversary. It depends is on it the one game. You know? <laughs> Matt, you're going first. The game is Dirt 4. Dirt 4. I'm going to get a pure guess. I, I know the game. Um, well, I know the series, but I think Dirt 4 would be around 2018 is my rough guess for that. Okay. George, have you played the game? I haven't, but I, I can sort of picture in my head what what the game looked like, like graphics wise, where it was sort of at. And I'm trying to I'm trying to date it based on that. Um, yeah, it's a good game actually. I think uh, me and my son have played it. 2018. So I'm I'm gonna go. I think I want to say earlier. I want to say like 2016 on this. Okay. And to keep that one one year gap for us. Okay, I can reveal that Dirt 4 was released in 2017. You were both one out either way. So the scores move up. George, you're on plus four. Matt, you were on plus five. Now, George, what that means is because you're currently winning, because you're closer to zero, that means you have to go first on the final on the final round. Because then Matt knows what he's having to play with. But Matt, you only need to be two either side of whatever George's guess is. So um, this is a key key round now. Um, I'm sweating, by the way. My palm. <laughs> tension is real, guys. The tension is real. It, it is really funny with this because it is just a bit of fun. But all of, as soon as we start it, it does get a bit sort mm. of... Uh... Yeah, and we've, and we've now got over a thousand people watching us live just for the anniversary no, yeah, spread. So, uh, <laughs> so, the last one I can reveal is also a game, um, and it's not one that I don't, Matt. You're going to be happy because it's not one that's kind of uh, got a random, you ridiculous, know, ridiculous yeah. name, but it will get you thinking. The game, George, you're guessing first. Pac-Man Championship Edition. Oh, Can't reveal the console. No. <laughs> it feels like I remember Xbox having a lot of like just goofy stuff like this, um, or Xbox 360. Ah. Uh, Shane from like... Donna Comics says 1993. Wow. Mm. Can't remember how old Shane would have been then. Probably early twenties. <laughs> <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, I'm going to go. This is a tough one. I'm going to go 2010. On this. Okay. Matt, let's uh, move it over to you. What are your thoughts, Matt? My thoughts is gonna is taking a massive, massive risk with this, and my thinking behind it is if it's called Championship Edition, is it that it was around the time where people used to competitively play Pac-Man, like mm -hmm. so that's why it's Championship Edition, mm -hmm. and was it you know referencing people playing it on the arcade, so it would have been on the, an Atari or something like that. Okay, so I am good. Sorry, Matt. I'm, I'm just going to remind you, if you want to win this, you only oh. need to be two either side. I'm just saying. No, I'm, I'm just putting this, uh, putting that to the, the, the side. And I'm going to say 1983 is, is what I'm going to say. And probably ruin all chances of winning um, completely with this. Because I like your thinking, George. I remember around... Like I said they're, they're all those like compilations of whatever games weren't there on the yeah i'm thinking like is this something we collected like achievements in you know mm, like Xbox achievements. okay i can reveal pac-man championship edition was released in 2000 <laughs> And seven. Great oh. guess, George. You were three out and you move on to plus seven. Matt, <laughs> 24 out. Amazing. Which takes you up yeah, to 29. 
I mean, what you could have done there, even if you thought it was early, you could have just gone to um, yeah, <laughs> two, 2009. 2006 or yeah, whatever it may be. One. Yeah, but, that's no fun. No, I, I appreciate the... Uh... <laughs> The, the I applied some logic. To, to my you know, if I play again, I'm going to be intimidated by this. <laughs> playing all the future games. It, it would have been amazing if it was 1983 and it just <laughs> the game. But, hey, congratulations to um, George, who is this week's winner of the anniversary spread. Well done, George. Let's have a, have a cheer for George. Anyone? Yeah. Come on. Um, you don't have to do a speech, it's fine. Um, <laughs> we will wrap up now, George. Um, thank you so much again for joining me and Matt this evening. Um, appreciate the time difference and so forth. So um, back to work for you afterwards, I think you said. Um, where can our viewers and our listeners find your your game uh, library? Uh, yeah, so um, so the big con are... are... 2D 90s game that's on um, that's on Steam that's on consoles like Xbox and uh, actually recently Game Pass so if you have Game Pass you can grab it for free oh, wow. right now which is pretty good uh, a Night in the Attic that's going to be on VR headsets so that's Oculus Quest Oculus Quest two up up the whole ladder there and uh, and on Steam so even if you have a different headset you can pick it up there amazing. And whereabouts are? Is it just at Mighty Yell on on social media? I think so. I think if somebody from Mighty Yell is in the the uh, chat, they can <laughs> maybe dump it there so I don't mess that one up. But I'm pretty sure. Yeah, if you look up Mighty Yell Studios, we're definitely... yeah, we've um, copied in uh, below this video. If you're watching this on YouTube, it is all included in the. Um, description and also if you're listening to this on one of the streaming platforms again i've included all the links so you can find out on there yeah do go and check them out do go and check out the games I've, i did see a comment i think it was highland g earlier he said he's just seen that it's available at a on really good switch point. i think yeah, yeah. So, um, um i i cannot speak you know i uh, I cannot speak highly enough uh, about the big con. I absolutely loved it. And the only reason I haven't played uh, Night in the Attic is I haven't got a VR headset. So, um, so if anyone wants to buy that one, let me know. And we made it for beginners. I mean, it was it was for people who haven't done VR a lot yet. So, so <laughs> like once me, you buy yeah. it, we're, we're a front <laughs> I'll be sort of like this, um, <laughs> playing it. <laughs> well, as I said, George, it's been an absolute pleasure. Stick around after and we'll say goodbye to you off air as well. But um, thanks to everyone for joining us this evening. Much appreciated. Taking time out to come and um, watch us do our thing. Um, we'll be back next week with Highland G. Um, and, uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you then. Have a great week and we'll speak to you soon. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite service. Past and future episodes can be found on all major streaming platforms, including Amazon, Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube. You can also contact James and Matt via Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. They will return in the next This Week in Metropolis. <laughs>